to the passage we read in John's Gospel, chapter 15. I'm going to look this morning at verses 1 to 11. Looking at it particularly in relation to the importance of maintaining a fruitful connection with Jesus. There are many other um, aspects of the teaching of the passage that we could focus on, but that's mainly the point that we're going to focus on throughout our study of this passage this morning. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And so on, down as far as verse 11 especially. We lost our living connection with God in the fall of Adam, or in our fall in Adam. While that's a difficult theological proposition to get your head round and to understand that throughout all the teachings that we have in Reformed teaching is an important element in understanding our sinful condition today and the sinful condition of human beings from that time of Adam's fall. We were in Adam when he fell from the state in which God created him. And when we fell in him, we lost that living connection that we had with God as he had created us. And that connection needs to be restored if we are to have eternal life. If we are to live in friendship and companionship with God in this life, if we are going to enjoy eternal life in heaven in the next, that connection needs to be remade or restored. And of course, as you know, that connection is made again for us through Jesus Christ, who is referred to in the Bible as the last Adam. And indeed, in chapter 10 and verse 10, uh, where he speaks of himself as the good shepherd, you can see there in verse 10 of chapter 10, he says this is really the purpose for why he came into the world. I came, or I have come, that they, that's his sheep, that they may have life and have it abundantly. He came to restore that connection with God through which we now come to have life as we come to know Jesus as our Savior personally. And that's really what's here in the imagery of the vine as well. The branches as they are connected with the main trunk of the vine receive the sap that enables them to produce fruit. And in a spiritual way, that's the first point we're going to look at, the, the importance of being connected to Jesus. Secondly, the importance of maintaining a good connection to Jesus. And thirdly, very briefly, the fruitfulness of a good connection to Jesus. The importance of being connected to Jesus. Now, in a way, what is said here of the vine is found in many aspects of our lives commonly from day to day. You unplug your television, it ceases to work. You un unplug your kettle, anything else that actually requires the power of electricity to make it function according to the way that it was designed to function. It will not do that unless it's plugged in, unless it has an attachment to the power source. And in many ways, in principle, that's what is being uh, set before us in the imagery of the vine as well. The branch does not fulfill the purpose for why it was created if it is not properly and firmly attached to the vine, to the trunk of the vine, to the main stem of the vine. And that's 
an indication as Jesus is speaking to the disciples of how a proper connection with him is so important if we have it in our minds, in our lives, a purpose for which we were created, which we should have, to bear fruit. Now, the fruit he speaks about, of course, uh, as it's represented by the vine, is the fruit of a righteous life, the fruit of a God-pleasing life, the fruit of a Christ-like life, the fruit of a life that knows forgiveness of sin, the fruit of a life that has hope towards being with Christ forevermore in heaven. So many things that you could say come into the description in the Bible of that spiritual and moral fruit that you find in the life of someone connected to Jesus. Sometimes, of course, it's difficult to discern that fruit in looking at yourself and myself personally. But even so, it's still um, obvious in most people's lives that have come to know Jesus that they have a changed life, that they are living a fruit-bearing life, that they live a life that bears the fruit of a righteous life, a life that's devoted to truth, to honesty, to respect, to love for God, to honoring God, to the fear of God, to serving their fellow human beings in the name of God, all of these things. And that's the proper connection that we actually have before us. Because he says, you see, if the branch does not abide in the vine, it can't bring forth fruit if it's cut off or if it's broken off. Um, it's no longer of any use. You can't reattach the branch of a vine uh, the way we can come spiritually to be reattached to Jesus. So as it says there, if anyone does not abide in me, uh, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches that are taken off the vine, that no longer produce fruit, that don't have that living connection, they're no use leaving them on the vine because they will not produce fruit. So they're taken away. And the importance of that is to remember that our purpose in life and the proof that we are Christ's disciples is in bearing the kind of fruit that the Bible speaks about. Not just to have life for ourselves in a spiritual way, in a, a moral way, in connection to Christ. That, of course, is hugely important, that you and I personally and individually would know ourselves to be fruit-bearing, saved people, that, we were not, that we're not the way we came into the world, that we are indeed changed by the grace of God, by being attached to Christ. So today the nature of our relationship with Jesus is so hugely important. This is not talking about how we're attached to the church, how we're attached to the fellowship of God's people. These are important connections. But this is the important connection. It's not talking about how we may be attached to the church by professional faith, by taking communion, by regular attendance at, at the gospel, all of which things are so, so important. We're not saying these are not important. But the important thing above all of these is a connection to Jesus himself. A connection with him through which you receive ongoing life and power and energy in your life to enable you to bear fruit. Thomas Boston was one of Scotland's greatest theologians and he wrote one of the best books, in my opinion, at least, that's ever been written. It's called Human Nature in its Fourfold State. It talks about what we are as sinners coming into the world, what we are by the grace of God, what we are then, thirdly, in the state of, of 
grace or being saved people in this life. And then fourthly, the fourth state is that of, of heaven, although he brings hell into that as well. The fourfold state. Read it. It's absolutely superb reading. It's the best book that I know of in dealing with human nature in these fourfold states. And this is what he says um, in uh, regard to being connected to Christ. He says, there is a great difference between adhesion and engrafting. He's thinking there about what you do when you graft something onto a stalk, a root stalk, and then the root stalk, like a rose for example, gives its energy to the, the graft, the, the thing you've crafted, the, the spliced in graft that you've done. Well, this is what he said. There's a great difference between adhesion and engrafting. The ivy clasps and twists itself around the oak, but it is not one with it, for it still grows on its own root. So many support themselves upon Christ, but grow upon their own root. They take him to support their hopes, but their delights are somewhere else. I think that's worth reading again. It's a very solemn point and a very important one. There is a great difference between adhesion and engrafting. The ivy clasps and twists itself around the oak, but it is not one with it, for it still grows on its own root. So many support themselves upon Christ, but grow upon their own root. They take him to support their hopes, but their delights are elsewhere. Make sure today, as I must make sure, that Jesus himself is your hope and not a means of supporting your own hopes or how you would like things to be or to turn out. He has to be our hope. And in order for him to be our hope, we need to be spiritually attached to him with a living attachment. And that's, of course, brought out in such things as we looked at very recently um, in his meeting with Nicodemus in chapter 3, they need to be born again. They need to be born by the Spirit of God to have a change in our life at the very heart of our being by the grace of God, by the power of God's Spirit and not relying on anything less than that for our hope of eternal life because that's where we get connection with Jesus where, he, where Christ where the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ. How are we made partakers? The Catechism tells us of the redemption purchased by Christ. We are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by His Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. That's the question now at that first point of our study. What is my connection to Jesus? Am I relying on a connection less than a connection to Jesus himself? Am I relying on a connection that historically I have had or my family have had with the Free Church or with Stornoway Free Church or with whatever church? Am I relying on a connection that I have with God's people rather than with God's Son? Is my reliance upon Jesus himself, is that the connection that today governs my life? The importance of being connected to Jesus. Secondly, maintaining a good connection to Jesus. Because the passage is saying that not only is it important to be connected to him, but it's so important to maintain that connection. We can put it that way as, as the passage says. We'll see what he's saying 
in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Verse 5, Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, and so on. And all the way he speaks there, If you abide in me, my words abide in you, and so on. So it's a maintaining of that connection, really, in these words of verse 4, abide in me and I in you. And that's a command. That's in the form of an imperative, or, or to say, in other words, it's a command. He's saying, abide in me, do this. And then he says also, and I in you. Maintain my abiding in you at the same time as you're abiding in me. How do we do that? How do you ensure that you abide in Christ? How do you fulfill this commandment of Jesus? How do you ensure that Christ continues to abide in us? Of course, ultimately, that is God himself and the sovereignty of his application of redemption. And he rules over every aspect of our redemption. But this is really bringing us to our own responsibilities in regard to that. To what we are required to do under the sovereignty and acknowledgement of God's lordship over us. First of all, we can say that we abide in him and he in us by prayer. He mentions prayer very much here in the chapter, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. In other words, the fruit of a righteous life, of a, a believing life, the fruit of a Christian life, follows upon prayer. Where you have a living connection with Jesus, you have a living communication with Jesus. Where you have a living connection established, the living communication immediately follows from that. The moment that you come to be connected to Jesus, you want to speak to Jesus. You want to pray to Jesus. You want to talk with him the things of your life. You want to set them out for you. You want to go with him with your problems. You want to tell him things that you don't dare tell anybody else about. You want to open your mind to him. You want to tell him things that you know. And you want to confess that there are things that you don't know that he knows. It's all about communication with Jesus. Not just uh, praying for certain things that you know you need. Of course that's part of it. But prayer in every single aspect of what prayer is. As communication with Christ. As part of your fellowship with Christ. That follows upon that vital connection being established. So you see, you maintain that abiding in Christ and he abiding in you. By prayer. Without prayer, that's not going to continue to be the case, if we can put it that way. I know there's a lot of difficult theology here to get your mind round, because in one sense, of course, when you're saved and come to be connected with Christ, you're never going to be unsaved again. But there are assumptions that you and I can make in life that are less than what is really the case. And what he's saying to us is, be careful that you're not just assuming things rather than really putting them to the test and proving them. So pray and continue to pray for yourself and with God's people because prayer is a vital part of abiding in Christ, Christ abiding in us. Don't miss opportunities to pray. I know myself how easy it is to be taken aside by other things that enter into even when you get up in the morning and whatever it is you do first, 
before you start looking at emails or going to your um, social media, whatever it is, this communication is important first and foremost. And I fall short in that, as I'm sure you do as well. But you know, there's a sense in which if you miss it at the time that it's available to you, and if you don't make it a priority at the time that you can make a priority of it, you don't catch up for the rest of the day. Other things fill your mind and fill your time. So prayer is important, vital, for maintaining a living connection which you come to benefit from with Jesus Christ. Secondly, a loving obedience to Christ is one of the ways in which that connection is maintained. Notice what he says in verse 7 here. um, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then you can add verse 10 to that. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be full, that my joy may be in you. We'll leave that to the the third point. But what he's saying here is a loving obedience to Christ, not just a formal obedience, not something that you do just out of a sense of duty, good though a sense of duty is, Sometimes in life, you know, in the Christian life, you give thanks to God for a sense of duty that brings you to your knees. Well, because there are times when you don't feel like praying, when you've um, really lost something of the warmth of that connection with Christ. And you're thankful then for that sense of duty to Christ that brings you to your knees and you begin to pray. And as you do so, you feel more again like the spirit of prayer and you enter in more into prayer and so on. Well, he's saying a loving obedience to Christ. Not a formal one, but a loving obedience is important. Because uh, what you find here is, if my words abide in you, and then verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. These two really are equivalent. His words abiding in us, and us keeping or abiding in his commandments. You can't detach these from each other. How do we come to uh, continue a loving obedience to Christ? Well, to have his words continually living within us, resting within us, consciously that we are living upon his words and that we abide and keep his commandments, that we are living in obedience to his will, that his will as our Lord is something that controls our life. That's how you maintain one of the aspects of maintaining this connection that we have with Christ. And you notice he's giving us he's giving us a template. He's giving us a template to follow. And a template, of course, is always useful. And when you see uh, people in, that, uh, that are involved in certain craftsmanships of different kind, very often they'll use a template, whether it's in metalwork or woodwork, whatever. The template is there. That's the master copy, if you like. And every other copy that they make, every other object they make in in uh, relation to that is fitted into or based on that template. When you have the template, you can base so many copies on it, as many as you like. Here's the template in verse 10. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. You see, he's saying, look at what I have done and base your abiding in me and I in you upon that. 
I have kept my father's commandments, and because I have kept my father, or by means of my keeping my father's commandments, I have abided, I have continued to abide in his love. That's a wonderful thing. That's an amazing thing in many ways. Jesus is opening up his own heart to us there. He's saying, the father gave me a commandment that I must do this work that he gave me to do in this world, that I might finish it. And that's what, of course, he did. And as he says in chapter 17 in his great prayer, I have finished the work which you gave me to do. That was the Father's commandment, that he lay down his life. As he says in chapter 10, this is the commandment, that I lay down my life, and that I might take it again. So he's saying, I have kept my Father's commandment, and as a result, or in consequence of that, I abide in his love. I remain within the Father's favor within the Father's approval of me, by keeping His commandments. And you and I have that as our template. We, uh, we abide in the favor of Christ, in a living union with Christ, by keeping His commands, by having His Word abide in us. We go on maintaining that connection through which we continue to receive life. Now there's one other thing that we need to mention um, because it's important that we look at the imagery of the vine and the vine dresser in every detail that it, it sets before us. And one of the details there is at the beginning of the chapter uh, in verse 2, especially the second part of it, every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. That's equivalent to the painful experiences of life. The disciples of Jesus, the Christian in this present world today, knows of painful episodes. Things in the providence of God which they themselves would not have chosen, but nevertheless God has chosen for them. Which he himself has ordained by his will, by his sovereign will, by his wisdom. And as they come to us and as we experience them and as we know the pain involved in them and the ongoing difficulties, maybe for some people it's a thing which lasts throughout life. Circumstances which are always going to be with them. Not just an odd episode here and there. That's equivalent to the pruning of the vine. When you see a skilled vine dresser or someone looking after a vine. Now, I don't know much about looking after vines. I know a little bit about gardening in general. But when you notice somebody who is actually going to tidy up a vine after the fruit-bearing season is over, you actually stand somewhat amazed at the amount of wood that he's cutting off the branches that have actually produced grapes. And a person who didn't really know anything about what this vine dresser was doing would say, what on earth is he doing cutting so deeply into the wood and the substance of these branches? Surely he's ruining that branch after bearing so much fruit this year. Surely it's not going to bear anything like the same when he's cut so much of it. But of course, that's the opposite, isn't it? Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, he cuts away what needs to be cut away, so that it may bear more fruit. Now that's a difficult thing, yet a hugely important thing to hold on to in the painful issues of life. In the losses, the pains, the traumas, the unexpected events, 
it's very difficult in the midst of them to really bring yourself to the conclusion God is doing this to me so that I can bear more fruit for him it doesn't feel like that when the knife cuts into your flesh when the pain is very acute but it's very like what the writer to the Hebrews was saying in chapter 12 he speaks there uses the word discipline which sometimes we misuse discipline is a very positive thing the way the Bible speaks about it and he talks there about sons sons of God adopted people of God and he's saying it is for discipline that you have to endure or persevere God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline if you are left without discipline in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons besides this we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields what the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it that's the purpose of God in bringing hurt to his people not because he likes to do it and delights in that hurt but because he has an end in view and a purpose that they bear even more fruit so maintaining a good connection to Jesus by prayer by a loving obedience to Christ and just as we've mentioned the third point is the fruitfulness of that good connection now it's interesting if you go forward to verse 16 where he says you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide see he's saying not, more, not only must you abide in me and I in you and maintain that connection by prayer, by loving obedience to Christ, your fruit also is going to abide, he's saying, it's going to remain. How is our fruit going to remain? Well, I think the key is, one of the keys there is, he's saying that you should go and bear fruit. The go is actually a word in Scripture often associated with being sent on a mission. And a Christian cannot think of the fruit of his or her own life as just confined to the moment of their own life, or to the privacy of their own life. It's a fruit that is displayed. It's a fruit that bears witness to the Jesus they're connected to. But it's a fruit that they pray will abide when they are gone. We are the fruit of people who are no longer in this world. Because they prayed over us. And they witnessed to us. And we saw Christ in them. And they commended him to us. And we came to believe in the Jesus they believed in. And we came to bear fruit as they bore fruit before us. And what Jesus is saying is, I have chosen you as my people and I have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. You remember, remember your fruit bearing for Christ is not so that we can just confine it to a congregation or to ourselves as individuals or to any sort of comfortable huddle that we might find comfortable in this life. It's to go and bear fruit for him it's to go and be 
involved in mission for him in whatever way we can. I don't mean by this that you need to go abroad or that you need to be officially appointed as a missionary or anything like that. Your life is a mission life as a Christian. And one of the ways in which you exercise that mission is bearing fruit for Christ. It abides by the fact that we pray that new converts will follow us. and Throughout witness they'll come to know the Lord. And he speaks here about fullness of joy. We haven't really got time to go into this very fully. But he says these things in verse 11. I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now we lost our joy when we lost our connection with God. And that joy is restored when we are reconnected in Jesus Christ. Um, the joy that uh, Jesus himself experienced in relation to the Father, the joy of Christ, as one writer puts it, uh, Charles Ross, in a little book called The Inner Sanctuary. Uh, it's on these chapters of John, and it's still available in paperback. What he's saying here is, uh, I'll quote from him, he's saying, um, the joy of Christ, the very joy which he experienced in abiding in his Father's love, was to be, in their measure, reproduced in their hearts in the way of obedience to his commandments. In other words, as Jesus experienced joy in relation to obedience to his Father's command, so we come to experience the same joy because it's joy in relation to keeping the commandments of the Father. We were made, friends, we were made, we were created to enjoy God. Most of us, I'm sure, learned the shorter catechism as children. And significantly, it begins with what is man's chief end. And as a very young uh, child, I often thought, well, what does that mean? What's chief end? And of course, what it means is, the main purpose for which we were created. What is the chief end? What is the main purpose of a human life? Man's chief end. Man's main purpose in life is this. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Don't miss that bit out. Don't just think that glorifying God is all about the absence of real joy. And that the joy that a Christian has is somehow less than the joy of the world. It's the other way around. This is Sir Don Carson. I'll, I'll finish with this quote from Don Carson in his commentary on John. Human joy in a fallen world will at best be ephemeral, shallow, incomplete. Until human existence is overtaken by an experience of the love of God in Christ Jesus. The love for which we were created, a mutual love that issues in obedience without reserve. The importance of having a living connection to Christ, of maintaining that living connection to Christ, and of bearing fruit through that connection to the glory of God. May He bless to us His Word. Now we're going to conclude our service today singing in Psalm 92 that's on page 122 Psalm 92a singing to the tune St. Columba verses 8 to 15 but Lord you are forevermore 
exalted very high, all evildoers will be crushed. Your foes will surely die. You made me strong as any ox with oil anointed me. I've seen my enemies defeat, and I have heard them flee. Like palms and cedars flourishing, the righteous all will be, and planted in the house of God will grow abundantly, and so in old age they still bear fruit. They will stay fresh and strong. They will proclaim, The Lord is just, my rock, who does no wrong. These verses in conclusion. But Lord, you are forever, Lord, exalted very high. All evildoers will be crushed, your foes will surely Now may grace and mercy and peace from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be your portion now and forevermore. Amen.